0: This is the Citizen of Heaven Podcast, the Chick-fil-A episode, part two. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a citizen of heaven, and I am your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. I bring this message of hope today from Pensacola, Florida. This is report number 43, dated January 28th in the year of our Lord, 2020. I bid God's grace and peace to all my fellow sojourners here in this earthly plane. I remain sound in body, alert in mind, and energized in spirit. In this week's podcast, I will share a few more lessons I've learned from my local Chick-fil-A. I've been preaching about the power of smiles. Joy is meant to be shown and shared. It makes all the difference in the world, in our interactions with others, as well as our own personal development. I've been reading the lyrics to Closed on Sunday from Kanye West's new album. This is why I don't listen to hip-hop. I've been hearing all the local Chick-fil-A employees sing their boss's praises, and I mean everyone. They're not brainwashed. They're just made in his image. I've been playing New York Slice. Like in retail, the only way you can get what you want is by giving other people what they want. I wish some Christians could figure that out. Are you ready? Here we go. This is what I've been preaching. The winner of the Best Smile at My Local Chick-fil-A contest goes to Christy. Congratulations. It was a heated fight, I assure you could just as easily have gone to dozens of other employees. I always enjoy my interactions with others. I'll give a few uh, semi-finalists, as it were. Lisa is wonderful. I saw Elizabeth uh, this morning. She's outstanding. Desiree, Alexis, many of the managers as well, not just the ones across the counter, but but everyone in this restaurant. The one that I'm calling for my purposes here, my Chick-fil-A, the local one that's about four or five stones throws from my office here. Uh, restaurant number 01389 here in Pensacola. This is a place where smiles exist and thrive and spread. And it's an important thing. I was just talking to the hiring manager, Stephanie, today uh, about this. And she says that, and and I see this working as well, it's not just that they are encouraging customers to have a positive attitude. And by by being smiley and being positive, they're encouraging people to come back maybe another time and enhancing their experience. There's also an environment they're creating for their workers where not only are the individual workers happy and smiling, but they're encouraging other people to do so as well. And you know this in any human interaction. If you are smiling in the company of other people, that smile tends to be contagious. And that's an important lesson for us to take away from this as we Christians are looking at our work and our association with one another and our associations with people out there in the world. The impact that we have on other people because of our positive attitude, because of our smile, is real. It's tangible. It makes a difference. Remember the story of Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail in in Acts chapter 16, verse number 25. We read that they are singing hymns while wrongfully incarcerated in jail. Other people are listening to them. You can't help but think this has a positive impact on this environment, especially since this earthquake is gonna come along that night and free all the prisoners. And yet none of them them run away, surely because of the impact that Paul and Silas are having on them in that moment. that, That positivity, that sense of contentment and joy is infectious, it rubs off on people. And we can take delight in that because not only is it also for the impact that we're having on other people, there is also a sense in which we as Christians come together in joy and that our love, our appreciation, our our sense of contentment and, and satisfaction and genuine happiness is shared among brothers and sisters in Christ. I was just looking at Philippians chapter one, verse number three and four. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. He's saying that even from a distance, from a long way away, he can read letters from these brethren. He can pray prayers on their behalf and have confidence that they are thriving in the gospel. And that brings a smile to his heart. The idea that they are serving God effectively, that makes an impact on their brothers and sisters in Christ, even from a distance. John writes in 3 John verse number 3 and 4, for I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, talking about the, the reader here, Gaius. How you are walking in the truth i have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth when i hear about brothers and sisters in christ on the other side of the country on the other side of the world people i know people who know people that i know when i hear this positive news and the joy that is in their hearts it makes a real difference it brings joy to my heart and that allows me to share that joy with others as well it continues this ripple effect throughout the brotherhood and continues to build us up and encourage us and in a wicked world that we're living in. We need that encouragement. And even beyond that, it's not just that we're helping other people. We're helping people on the outside see Jesus living in us. We ourselves, the more we smile, the more we deliberately inject the appearance of joy, not just joy itself, but the appearance of joy into our lives, the more positive and the more joyful we become. The the appearance becomes the reality, as it were. We actually become joyful because we are acting joyful, as it were. The smile is going to create the mood. Uh, Now, there's a sense in which, of course, the mood creates the smile, but it doesn't have to work that way. If you go into your life, including and particularly circumstances that are not necessarily uh, positive, if you take a positive attitude towards those things, you put a smile on your face. Before too long, you may wind up tricking yourself into thinking you're actually joyful. And thinking that you're joyful is basically the same thing as being joyful, right? We may not think of washing feet, for instance, as a positive kind of thing. John 13 verse 14 tells us that Jesus washed his disciples' feet and encourages us to do the same thing. If we will have that attitude of service, wanting to be with other people, wanting to lift them up and to elevate them, then we find before too long that by pursuing this course of action that we have chosen for ourselves, that we know is best for us, that we know honors God, and by doing it with a positive attitude, we may find that we are actually finding joy in our service. And beyond that, of course, encouraging them to find joy in our service and spreading the service and spreading the joy on down the line to whoever we come in contact with that is how we not only serve jesus in this life but also serve him happily and joyfully and let's be honest doesn't that sound like a much more positive experience for us and a much more attractive experience for people who are on the outside thinking about giving their lives to jesus christ a smile makes all the difference in the world anyway that's what i've been preaching This is what I've been reading. Okay, I'm going to try to do justice to this. Hang on. Here we go. Closed on Sunday, you're my Chick-fil-A. Closed on Sunday, you my Chick-fil-A. Hold the selfies, put the gram away. Get your family, y'all hold hands and pray. When you got doctors always keep daughters always keep them safe. Watch out for vipers, don't let them indoctrinate. Closed on Sunday, you my Chick-fil-A. You're my number one with the lemonade raise our sons, train them in the faith through temptations, make sure they're wide awake, follow Jesus, listen and obey, no more for living for the culture, we nobody's slave. Is that? Do I sound like a hip-hop artist there? Did that sound okay? I, I really wouldn't know. I have very, very little experience with, with hip-hop. In fact, that's more or less my, the limit of my experience with hip-hop. If I were to read lines like that from a third grader, I probably would say something along the lines of, well, Johnny, that's a very interesting uh, scheme there, an interesting poetry you kind of tie your theme together pretty well. You don't really rhyme very many lines, but it's assonance, which is kind of like rhyme, and it does give a certain flow to the, the poem. I, I think it's a very good effort. Thank you very much for what you've done here. If this were a award-winning Musician, someone who makes his living actually writing this kind of stuff, I would wonder what in the world is going on with our culture, and and I do wonder oftentimes. And I try to avoid hip hop as much as I possibly can. If you listen to it, that's your business. Uh, and and Kanye West obviously is a pretty big target these days. Uh, I don't want to pick on Kanye any more than absolutely necessary in this context, but but most of you are aware that he has this album out now, Jesus is King, and one of the t- the tracks is called. Uh, is called closed on Sunday and it appears to be his his tribute to chick-fil-a and how chick-fil-a is part of the solution and part of the the approach to try to get people away from the devilish things of this world and and toward more wholesome and and god-centered kind of activity and and I am all in favor obviously of limiting our exposure to bad things of the world and maximizing our exposure to the good things or at least the morally neutral things of the world and as far as that goes, I applaud mr West for for his efforts. Uh, if you were genuinely turning your life uh, around to Jesus Christ, if you're out there, Kanye, kind of listening, uh, congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, ultimately, God will be the judge of all of us here. I'm not trying to get into the judgment zone here. What I am trying to say is this. Let's make sure that we don't put too much of a burden on Chick-fil-A. We probably touched on this a little bit last week. But in the in the context of this particular series of lines, it really kind of gives the impression that part of the solution, part of the cure for sin, as it were, part of our efforts to remove ourselves from the devil and put ourselves into the kingdom of Jesus Christ is eating more Chick-fil-A. And that's just not true. I want to emphasize this. I want to to hit this pretty strong. If you want to eat at Chick-fil-A, that's great. If you want to put your kid in band, if you want to take a kid to Little League or or whatever kind of... You know, extracurricular activity one that's fine but there is a world of difference between the absence of evil and the presence of good and and we need to make sure that we realize this Uh, you are not going to save your child by taking them to chick-fil-a you're just not going to do it it's not possible for you to do that that's not a burden that is reasonable for us to ask chick-fil-a to bear the only one who can save you is jesus christ you can meet him at Chick Fil A. You can meet him at the church house. You can meet him in in your closet as you're reading the Bible. Whatever it happens to be, but Jesus is the only one who is going to save you. When we, as parents, speaking as a parent myself, we are instructed to rear up our children in, as the Old King James version has, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord in Ephesians chapter six, verse four. That's telling us to expose us to the rightness, the the godliness of Jesus Christ that we find in the Bible. Now, part of that. Uh, may be and, and to a certain degree will be isolating our children and isolating ourselves from the evils of this world as much as we can to a reasonable extent. That's certainly a, a noble effort and something that's that's helpful. The, one of the best things you can do to nourish your body is to not eat poison. Uh, that makes sense. But it's not the same thing as actually feeding yourself, if you'll pardon the, the food metaphor. We're doing the Chick-fil-A episode this week. We as Christians are required to nourish ourselves through the word of God and only the word of God. That is the only way that we can actually draw closer to God. Paul writes to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and following. You, however, to the young preacher there, continuing the things you've learned. And become convinced of knowing from what you have learned them, and from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by God, inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. If you want to be a worker for the Lord, if you want to be a a worker in His kingdom, in His field, if you want to bring glory to Him. This is how you do it. You engage with God's word and you allow it to take you where God is trying to take you. That is not the same thing as staying away from bad things. Staying away from bad things is good, good policy, absolutely. But it reminds us of the story that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 12, in verse 43 through 45. And I don't know exactly how much this is uh, an actual depiction of how demon possession worked back then. But he says that there's this man who has a demon and, he, and the demon leaves. But the man does not fill his heart with anything righteous. He doesn't fill him with anything noble and, and spiritual. And so the demon comes back and he finds the, the house empty and swept, as it were. And he brings more demons with him. And the last state is worse than the first. The, the point being there that ridding ourselves of all the bad stuff in this world is good. And we ought to do that. We need to make room for Jesus in our hearts. But having made room for him, we need to fill our hearts with Jesus. That's what's going to save us. So in our efforts to maximize what we call the good things of this world, what we really mean is the morally neutral things of this world. And may there, I don't mean that disparaging way at all. We need more and morally neutral things in this world. We need them on TV. We need them uh, in the the clothes racks at, at Target and Walmart. We need them everywhere in this world. The more, the merrier. But that is not the same thing as filling our hearts with Jesus Christ. If you want to be saved, read your Bible. Do what your Bible tells you to do. That's the way that you're going to deliver your soul from a sinful world. Anyway, that's what I've been reading. This is what I've been hearing. seems like there's basically two approaches to hiring people you can either hire whoever you can whoever's available and then try to turn them into the right person for the job or you can filter and vet yourself to death trying to find the person who is already the right person for the job and then just hire them It's a matter of whether you want to do your work beforehand or afterward, I suppose. And my Chick-fil-A is firmly committed to the latter of these. The hiring process is long and arduous. I've heard several people describing it. You go through three or four different levels of interviews. And at the end of the day, if you manage to make it all the way through, you meet with the owner-operator, a man named Robert Barnes. And this interview could last an hour to hour and a half or so. And it typically ends with the interviewee in tears, but the good kind of tears, not the bad kind. The process is designed to find the right person for the job. Not everybody is suited for service. That's not an indictment. That's not a criticism. It's just the way it is. Not everyone is suited for this, and they are determined to find the people who are and to hire them, and to keep them. And as a result, the people who manage to make it through all of these various filters and wind up with a job at my Chick-fil-A tend very strongly to get hired and to stay hired. If you manage to make it to the point where you're a trainee, the overwhelming majority are going to stick with it and stick for a while, for at least several months, and perhaps much, much longer than that. So it's not surprising, necessarily, that the people who make it through the process love their boss, and I. This is something that's somewhat surprising. I've worked in in uh, secular jobs at various places, had various experiences with employers and employees, and, and that sort of thing. Very rarely, in my experience, have I seen a workforce that is. Completely devoted to their boss. They love their boss. How does something like that happen? Well, it happens because their employer has a passion for this business and he is finding people who share that passion. And because of that, they wind up on the same page, or maybe they more find out that they've always been on the same page and they're supporting one another and they're encouraging one another and there's no reason why this should not be a symbiotic relationship where they grow off of one another. They're all working toward the same goal. Their success for one is success for the other. There's no reason why there should not be a positive relationship between employer and employee. Obviously, it's not always like that, but it is here. And that is a, a tremendous source of encouragement to me that this kind of relationship can exist. And it reminds me, I don't want to get too, I don't want to put Mr. Barnes in the position of, of playing God, as it were, playing the part of God. But I will say this, that when we come to Jesus Christ When we find in him a leader that inspires us, that gets the most out of us, we come to him because we admire what he stands for. Now, it doesn't have to work this way. It could be that Jesus just throws the net out there and grabs anybody he possibly can and drags them on board the boat and tries to convert them all into Christians, as it were. In fact, he says it's very much the opposite. The parable of the dragnet that Jesus gives to us in Matthew chapter 13 specifically speaks to this. The net goes out there and it catches a lot of stuff, but does not catch just good fish. And the ones that are not good are cast away. There are people who come to the gospel for whatever reason, maybe to impress a boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe to impress mom and dad. uh, Maybe that's where the business contacts are, whatever it happens to be. But they're not coming because they really buy into Jesus Christ and him crucified. They don't accept his goal his aspirations they don't share in him they don't have anything in common ultimately with him and ultimately their service is going to fail they're probably going to drop off entirely what jesus does instead is he tells us what we are in for he tells us up front there's a large crowd gathering in luke chapter 14 in verse 25 and following and, and this is the t- habit that Jesus se- seems to be in. And it seems to be rather self-defeating. When it looks like things are really taking off, when more and more people really, really want to work in his service, he seems to deliberately turn people away. We read starting in verse number 28, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever d- does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he gives a couple of analogies about the the one who wants to build a tower but doesn't count the cost beforehand, the king that wants to go to war and doesn't realize how many people he's going to need to go into battle first. Those are not reasonable things. They go in forewarned. And Jesus forewarns us, be aware of what discipleship is going to cost you. This is what being my disciple means. He says in verse number 33, as the conversation concludes, so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Now, it doesn't mean there that you have to literally become a pauper, that you literally do what he told the rich young realtor to do in Luke chapter 18, to sell everything that he had and give it to the poor. That's not a commandment for each one of us, but it is a mandate that we put his priorities first of all. And anything that is ours is potentially his that we have to surrender every aspect of our being, uh, every goal, every personal achievement, every honor. Nothing is sacred. Nothing is sacrosanct. Everything is subject to Jesus Christ. And it's in the same context that he says in verse 34, therefore salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless, what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's talking about our, our influence around people, that we have to make sure that we are pure, that he preserves us and that we preserve ourselves. If we are not his kind of people, we can't do his kind of job is what he's trying to say. And what a wonderful example this is for us as we try to preserve the world jesus pulls us out of the world so we can be different the reason we were drawn to him in the first place is because he was different because he is different and it's not appropriate for us to try to subvert god's plan that's what it basically is subverting god's plan by trying by hook and by crook to get as many people in the building as possible make sure they sign up make sure they get involved and somehow or another by sneak tactic says that we're going to sneak the gospel in there somewhere. And they're, before you know they're going to be a Christian, they're not even going to know what hit them. That's not Jesus' plan. Jesus has never had that plan. There is no bait and switch with Jesus. He tells you exactly what to expect, including and particularly the bad things. And then he says, come follow me. The right kind of people are going to be attracted to this. The wrong kind of people are going to be repelled from this. And because of that, when we make it through his process and we find ourselves refined by fire, we know that we are truly his disciples, that we are truly committed to his cause. And we have every reason to stick it out through the difficult times, knowing that we believe in the one that we are following after, knowing that his goals are our goals, know that we are safe in his charge. We are going to be okay here. It's a marvelous thing to know that the one who is leading you has your back like this. And thankfully, we have a Savior who will never, ever let us down, who is, in fact, the good shepherd, the one who will shepherd our souls all the way to heaven. Anyway, that's what I've been hearing. If you want to stop listening at this point and go your way, I hope you've found the message instructive, inspiring, and most of all, faithful to God's Word. Please don't forget to like, rate, share, subscribe, and follow. But if you stick around for a few more minutes, I would like to share with you a way to amuse yourself in a wholesome manner while waiting here in Satan's world, and perhaps pick up a spiritual point or two in the process. This is what I've been playing. I would not go so far as to say that New York Slice is a perfect game, but it makes a good effort at it, beginning with the theme, which is food, and there's nothing wrong at all with food. And pizza beyond that, which is, of course, as we all know, nature's perfect food. And when I say the game is about food or about pizza, I mean very seriously that it is. The box itself looks very much like a pizza box, opens the same way and everything, same shape. Inside, you'll find a rule book that looks just like a pizza restaurant menu. You'll find a score sheet that looks just like a, a waiter or waitress's tab that they'd take your order on and most of all of course you find pieces of pizza in there you find pepperoni pizza and pepperoni sausage pizza you find veggie pizza you find barbecue pizza you find pizza with anchovies on it which may not be your thing and they are very attractive very good looking pieces of pizza and don't try to eat them they are made out of cardboard after all but still nevertheless very attractive And you can take 11 of those pieces and form a circle, a pizza. And by the way, kudos to someone who figured out how to divide 360 degrees of a circle into 11 pieces. That blows my mind. Congratulations, Bézier Games. Anyway, all that being said, uh, it's not only a pizza game, but it's also a game that contains the world's most perfect game mechanism, which is I Cut You Choose. Basically, I divide the pizza up, and you get to decide which part that you want. It just can't get any more fair than that. There's no way to mess that up. That's the way we split up cake and pie and, and cornbread at my house, and, and uh, we do that with the children today, even. If you have trouble with uh, getting your 8-year-old or 6-year-old or whatever to share, then maybe teaching them New York Slice might be a step in the right direction. It's uh, it's a And beyond that, of course, it's just a fun game to play. Uh, easily accessible for uh, for people of all ages, whether you eat pizza or not, whether you're young at heart or not. It's uh, it's just a lot of fun. My friend Chris Emerson came over to the house for a week to preach for us, and, and uh, we showed him New York Slice, and he ordered it for his family on Amazon before he even left the house. So it has the Chris Emerson seal of approval for whatever that might be worth. Anyway, I, I bring it up not just because we're talking about food in the Chick-fil-A podcast, but also because... This game, New York Slice, gives a good example of how we need to be interacting with people. In a a service industry situation, the only way you're going to be able to get ahead is by giving the people what they want. That's the only way you're ever going to get what they, what you want. You want their business, you want their money. And if you're going to do that, you're going to have to give them a good product at a good price with a good attitude and, and in various ways, encourage them to come back and and repeat the process. That's the way retail works. It always has worked that way. New York slice works that way. If it's my turn to go first, for instance, I get to divide the pizza the way that I want. If we have four players, then I'm going to split the pizza up into four pieces. And there's going to be included in that, by the way, a uh, a special. Maybe this is going to let you pick first when it's not even your turn at some point in the future. Or maybe you're going to like anchovies instead of not like anchovies or whatever. And after I've split the pizza the way I want, then we go around the table and everybody chooses the section that they want. And you're trying to be the one who has the most... Of most pieces, most slices of the various kinds of pizza, and you're also allowed to quote-unquote eat the pepperoni pizza if you want to, Uh, and you get a point for every pepperoni that you have consumed, as it were. So you accumulate points in that way, and and basically at the end of I think it's six rounds, the one who has the most points wins. It's a relatively a straightforward kind of game, easy to understand. And, and to the point that we're getting at here, easy to understand the idea that if I'm going to get what I want, I have to give you what you want. That can be a very delicate thing because ultimately, of course, we're trying to win the game. We're, we're trying to succeed here. But if I'm going to do that, I have to get into your mind and give you something that you want. Maybe you're trying to corner the market on sausage pizza, for instance, or maybe you uh, anchovies don't hurt you that much and so maybe it'll be okay to put an anchovy piece over on your side or whatever Maybe that special really fits in your wheelhouse. Whatever it happens to be If we are going to be servants in the Lord's kingdom We have to think this way also Uh, turn your attention to Luke chapter 6 and verse 37 and following as Jesus gives us some good life advice for how to interact with humans now a lot of Jesus Guidance, of course, is of a spiritual nature, taking us closer to heaven. But occasionally he gives us proverb type advice where it's just helping us to exist. It may have some spiritual applications, but in large measure, it's simply if you want to get along with people, this is the way it's going to have to work. And this is a great example of this. Verse 37 says, do not judge and you will not be judged and do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour down into your lap a good measure, pressed, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by its standard, your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And you may recognize the language there from a, a passage usually quoted from Matthew chapter seven, verse one. A parallel passage over there that's misunderstood widely. If you see it in the context here in Luke six, it makes a lot more sense. He's not saying there, judge not that you be not judged. Therefore, you can't judge anybody. There's no condemnation. You can't tell anybody that they're in sin. You can't tell anybody that they're wrong. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that the attitude that you take toward your fellow man is going to, generally speaking, be met in return. If you are overly condemning, if you are overly judgmental, if you're overly uh, selfish or whatever, you're going to tend to have that in return. And we see this happening all the time. People in the church who complain, nobody ever calls me. Nobody ever comes to visit me. Uh, Nobody's ever thinking about me. Well, who are you calling Who are you visiting? Well, I don't have time to call. I don't have time to. Okay, well, there you go. That's the way it tends to work. I'm not saying it's okay to ignore people who are infirm or sick or or older or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that if you are the kind of person that doesn't go out of their way to help other people, you're going to tend to meet with that kind of attitude in return. And so what we need to do as a society in general, and what we need to do as the people of God in particular, is always be looking for ways to help other people, always be looking for ways to extend ourselves for others' benefit, not just so that they will be served, although that's important, but also so that they will be in position to serve us. And of course, ultimately, that all of us will be in position to serve Jesus Christ. The twist, of course, is that there are exceptions to this. Sometimes... We will knock ourselves out for somebody else, and they will not, in fact, give to us in return. And that's unfortunate. But ultimately, the important thing is for us to remember that we are serving Jesus here. And if we will give to him, as we ought to at all times, regardless of circumstances, we can find that Jesus will, in fact, give to us in return. Not because we've earned it, because we have shown that we are willing and eager to follow after his example. As he goes on to say in the same context here, that um, verse number 40, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after having been fully trained will be like his teacher. We're learning after Jesus. We're becoming like him in all things. And because we are trusting in him, because we're going in his way, following after his example, growing to be more like him every day of our lives, learning how to serve. We will not only be drawn closer to him and his example, but also perhaps encouraging somebody else to do the same thing. Anyway, That's what I've been playing. Thank you for listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. If you profited from your time here, I have a few requests of you. Please pray for me and for this work. We need more citizens of heaven. And our prayer is that we be part of achieving this objective. Please subscribe to this podcast. And give a good rating on iTunes and other sites that allow you to do such things. And spread the word to your friends. Please follow my work through my website, www.halhammons.com. There you will find links to articles, videos, and books of mine. Seek me out on social media. You can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and especially Facebook. Look for me and for my pages, The Final Word, The Preacher, 20 pages a week, and Citizen of Heaven. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.